0: Welcome, my name is Kareem Kanji and this is episode 62. Today, my guest is a former dragon on CBC's popular Dragon's Den, head of Prairie Merchant Corporation and part owner of the Nashville Predators, Brett Wilson. Enjoy this conversation. Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session. Brett is what I call you, right? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, the W Brett is kind of a fun thing we use. I'm real close friends with a young musician named Brett Kissel, so he's Brett K, and I'm W Brett. It's the only way to differentiate. Okay. And then um, for brand in writing, because yeah. this is all podcast, yeah, yeah, but it's always W Brett, and that's just a differentiation moment. But okay. No, I'm Brett.
0: Okay, cool. I was I was asking uh, I was asking Yoda what, what what do I call you? What should I? So he says Brett. So I said, okay, I just want to make sure. <laughs> um. Okay, first, you obviously know the first question. Then know, I haven't paid
1: any attention to what what you're going to do to me. I uh, trust in Yoda.
0: I w- <laughs> that, see, that's your first mistake right there.
1: Um, well, as I often say, when I am on stage, yeah. no question off limits.
0: No question. Okay. No
1: question. Now, I might not answer it, you but might not no understand. question's is going to offend go. me because I've heard them all. Fair enough. I appreciate so, that. Bring it.
0: Um, so the first question, and it, I didn't ask... Suleiman to put me in touch with you because of this it was I saw I was looking for guests and I saw you retweet him a bunch he retweets you and I go they're friends they there's a business relationship there so I asked him and he says okay I'll make the introduction and then I was I was going to ask you the question and then obviously other news outlets got to you first <laughs> but the question I have is um okay Kevin O'Leary
1: I've heard of him you've heard,
0: uh, he's he, i' I've, I've seen him on t v um so you're endorsing him you've you've said why you're endorsing him um so that's really not my question although i'm I am curious about the second person you're endorsing because you said you're endorsing two people yeah. um, but outside of what we've seen of him on t v you obviously know a different side of him um i I can't remember his name but I met the the original i guess he I don't know what his title is, executive producer. Might uh, have been Stuart Cox. Stuart Cox. Met him a w- he's my Yoda, <laughs> the original Yoda. I, m- I met him a week ago. We're doing some really, really interesting things um, with um, the When Jack Downey fund. Yep. So he's, yep. he's um, and I know that Stuart sort of coached him in terms of, listen, be more of that. Yep. Because that's good for TV. It's a TV show, right? Yep. It's all about ratings. But you obviously know him. Differently, you—you guys are are business partners in in a sense. Um, So, tell me, who is Kevin outside of what we know on TV?
1: If you carve Kevin out of the television set, he's still an enigma. He is a very conservative, very progressive conservative in terms of his fiscal thinking. Okay, you know, backing up, I would have stayed quiet. On who Kevin O'Leary was or is to me, if I didn't think that Arlene's approach to him had been, you know, bordered on unprofessional. The attack was very personal talking about what a reprehensible human being he is. Mm-hmm. And I would have just sat and let Kevin and Arlene nip at each other mm-hmm. as they always did on the show. Sure. They were the first two to jump in the back of a truck together. They were the first two to go on bouncies together. I mean, they had a lot of fun together. And we saw that. The chemistry was uh, was almost enviable for the rest of us dragons who, were, who weren't chasing the television moment the way they were. So yeah. I knew that there was a long standing friendship and rivalry as dragons. We all do. Sure. But when Arlene came out and attacked him and I thought relatively uh, relatively vicious in terms of a personal affront mm-hmm. it didn't make a lot of sense but rumors have been circling that Arlene's running for the Liberals in Calgary so okay. it makes a little more sense when you take the lens of politics mm. and apply it going here's just two politicians I going saw you at tweet about other. that
0: yep. Okay. So,
1: I mean, Arlene's denying it, but of course she's denying it. I mean, sure. why wouldn't you deny it until you're ready to announce it? Yeah, yeah. So, again, whether I'm right or wrong is moot. Yeah. It's the fact that there's that lens to see it through, mm. which makes some of the arguing a little transparent and yeah. a little irrelevant. Sure. But let's go back to big picture. So then when I started to take a moment in social media and other platforms who've who've come after me in terms of notionally endorsing Kevin, what I'm first of all focused on is that Kevin brings, as he says his words, he's shining a light of transparency on a process. It's a process in Canada where 150,000 people typically pick the leader of the party.
0: We're in mm-hmm. a country
1: of 36 million. Mm-hmm. We're missing the what I call the very silent majority. Yeah. Kevin, if you don't like him, buy a $15 membership and vote against him. Sure. If you do like him, yeah. buy a $15 membership and vote for him. Yeah. Because the people who are going to be involved with choosing the next leader of the Conservative Party potentially the next leader of our great country yeah. are the 150 200,000 people who actually take the time to step up yeah. so kevin in kevin out kevin out there's 14 people there's a lot of clutter a lot of buzz who knows where that's all going to unfold kevin in the whole game is on and that's what i'm endorsing the fact that kevin's in the race what I've said is that I think it's going to be a two-person race, in this case, a two-man race. I don't have a gender wish on, mm-hmm. on any of this, but I believe Maxime Bernier. Okay. He's polling well. I've known him for a decade. And is I that the I believe Max Max endorsing? will be standing at the end of the race. Okay. And I believe it's going to be Kevin and Max yeah. at the end of the race. And my bet would be that Max will take it at the yeah. end. But Kevin Kevin could surprise me. And Kevin is a tenacious man. He's also a very capable, very bright businessman.
0: Yeah. Do you think he's in it to be the leader, then prime minister, or is he in it to, like you said, and um, to sh- sort of, you know, to shine a light on the process?
1: Kevin said publicly, he and I were on stage together before Christmas, working okay. the Canoe platform, which is my mutual fund company that bought his mutual fund company. So there's the business connection. Some okay. people said, you know, what he's worth, and I said, well, I know what part of him's worth because <laughs> I wrote the check, uh, and he's a wealthy man. Yeah. Uh, let's be clear. He's also a very successful businessman. Mm-hmm. I would say he's uh, certainly one of the more successful financially dragons, period. So let's just rank them in some way, shape, or form. And okay. I give the Boston pizza guy big uh, big kudos, and uh, and then it kind of drops down from there for the rest of us. Yeah. But Kevin, Kevin's a big deal. Now, I don't know what his social policies are going to look like. I don't know where he's going to stand on... Uh, on church and state separation, where he's going to go on abortion. I don't know where he's going to go on any of those things. Mm -hmm. But where he's good is where he should migrate, and that's fiscal policy. When he talks about how to be more efficient in government, we've all seen some of the letters, or we've had the opportunity to see the letters he wrote to Wynne and Notley, challenging them over their fiscal decisions. And the sheer stupidity of the Ontario electric grid speaks volumes for Wynne defending Mm -hmm. it and O'Leary attacking. Well, people who've seen their utility bills tripled in the last five years understand Kevin's got a valid point mm-hmm. and so when win attacks or Notley attacks or Rachel pardon me Arlene attacks it only validates the fact that Kevin is real mm-hmm. you know we had one of the other people one of the contestants set up a website to attack Kevin yeah. the sheer stupidity of that <laughs> is, is just lost on me as to how you could actually go attack someone who's not even in the race at that point yeah anyway let's go back to Kevin yeah Kevin said I will run unless I can find someone who will listen to me. Mm. Now, he's a little facetious <laughs> when he says that because who's going to truly listen to everything he has to <laughs> say? So you could see it coming. And he called his own bluff. Yeah, He said, I'm going to run yeah. if I can't find someone who's going to listen to me. Yeah. Well, if you thought that through, you know that he's coming because yeah. no one's going to listen to him uh-huh. in the sense that they're not going to be his puppet, his parrot, his, uh, his voice. So he's got to take the mandate and yeah. run with it. But again, the part I love about what Kevin's doing, politically incorrect at times, I get that. He's willing to push buttons that other people aren't. He's willing to stand up for his decisions. He's not looking to appease the vocal minority. Mm-hmm. He's looking to be the voice of the silent majority. Yeah. And anyone who compares him to Trump mm-hmm. is making a big mistake.
0: Why is that? Because a Kev- lot of people are comparing them.
1: They both built brand off social media. They both be built brand off of U.S. television. Yeah. In Kevin's case, he also had Canadian television. The two paths diverge when it comes to intelligence. I, don't, I just <laughs> don't respect okay. the bucket that, that Trump was given. And as well, whether it's emotional issues or he's just a narcissist at, at his core, but the way he treats other people, women in particular, the issues he's willing to take to the table where he talked about whether he was misquoted or not, that you know, Mexicans in general mm-hmm. are rapists and plunderers, mm-hmm. the thought that he has to build a wall to keep them out. I mean, he's got some fiscally intelligent policies embedded in some of the things he's saying, but I throw most of that away. And the sheer madness, the sheer volatility of what we're going to see mm-hmm. coming out of Trump is a very different world than I would see in the hypothetical world of Kevin running our country.
0: Are you concerned as a, as a businessman about the presidency of Trump and in terms of how it can uh, or will or could affect the Canadian economy?
1: Can, will, or could. Those are all yeah. the right terms. Yeah. Because at this moment, my forecast is for volatility. You know, he's willing to. Trump's already made it clear that he's willing to make a decision on day one and reverse it on day three, and nobody can hold him accountable. He's going to say, "Just a minute! I didn't make that decision on day one." Well, yeah, you did. No, I didn't. Here's yeah. what we're doing, and on he goes. Yeah, he is completely unaccountable. I don't see Kevin living in that kind of bubble. Hmm. Now, uh, is it a bad thing that Kevin's, or that pardon me, that Trump's willing to make some decisions? You know, here he is. He's already in day two, day three, day four, day five, whatever it is, has approved. Uh, something that we'd lobbied for as a nation for seven or eight years, Mm -hmm. and that's the Keystone XL project, Mm -hmm. giving a core industry in Canada a market that'll remove the differential that's costing us billions of dollars a year. Mm -hmm. Like It's logical that that pipeline be approved if it's not on the basis of politics. Mm -hmm. Well, we just wiped the gender lens or the lens of politics. The politics lens just came away, and all of a sudden... Trump said, let's go. Mm-hmm. Now, he wants to extract more for the United States. He wants U.S. steel, U.S. jobs, probably another tariff. There's a bunch of things he's going to do for his net benefit. Yeah. But is there anything wrong with that if it ultimately gets built? I don't think so. So there's parts of what Trump's accomplishing that I admire. There's other places where I just I shake my head.
0: Yeah. Do you have any political ambitions of your own?
1: Absolutely. I want to stay home.
0: <laughs> you want to stay home? <laughs> That's your ambition. <laughs> my ambition is to stay home
1: <laughs> and poke. You know, everybody in Canada has one vote. And I just happen to have a bigger voice than others because of a bit of profile. Yeah. I got it off of TV. I got it off of some business success I had. I've got it off of some charity work that I've done. But my personal political ambitions are not to lead any party. I don't mm-hmm. want to be in that uh, yeah. in that role. And, you know, I was, um, I've sat with a number of political leaders over the last... Short while or recent while, sure. And I enjoy the ability to poke at every party. Yeah. And whether it's federal, provincial, or municipal, yeah. I can take on issues of the day. Whether it's uh, it's downtown taxation in Calgary or the need for ride sharing to be approved or the need for infrastructure, and that's at the provincial, pardon me, at the uh, municipal level. Yeah. And then, likewise, at the provincial level, we've got federal-provincial issues around. Uh, uh, royalty regimes and healthcare issues and taxation and you know nobody's a bigger fan of uh, of um, armchair politics than me, <laughs> but I hate thinking that I would spend the rest of my life just sitting in the armchair belly aching. Yeah. So I take the initiative sure. and I do get involved. I do put my money where my wallet, pardon me, my mouth where my wallet could be. Yeah, let me flip it on. I'm going to put my wallet <laughs> where my <laughs> mouth is. Is really what I'm trying to say. And the opportunity there is sometimes back people who I believe in yeah and my ultimate goal, whether I mean there's some things the NDP did in Alberta that were extraordinary in terms of the royalty review that was done. It was the most thoughtful royalty review uh, that 's been done in the last twenty years and i 've lived under other governments yeah. so the NDP got that right they got some other things wrong don 't get me uh, yeah you know the liberals who i 'm a fan of screwed up the um, uh, those uh, the two power plants in Ontario in a billion dollar fiasco mm-hmm. I mean so everyone has to wear um, the challenge if you will of getting it right
0: yeah um born in north battleford saskatchewan um what did your parents do there
1: you know my mom was a social worker she went back to work when i was about five or six years old to make ends meet and my dad when i was born was actually working in the in the oil fields and uh, i was uh i think i was a couple weeks old when he left for the oil fields and uh he came back three months later, and I wouldn't allow him, as a three-month-old baby, to allow him to touch me. And my dad quit the oil fields on the spot and said, I'm never going to do this again. And he took a job. For a while, he was repossessing cars. Okay. In, uh, in the, uh, He's a big guy. And <laughs> then he uh, evolved into the car finance business from repossessing to finance. And then from there, got into car sales. And ultimately, uh, he stayed in that business uh, all of his working life. So dad sold cars pretty good capitalist my mom was a social worker um pretty good socialist and i think that's how i became a capitalist with a heart you know see a little yeah. bit of both sides uh, I do, at yeah. all times
0: i'm curious what did your dad think when you started first energy like did well, he say son you told me not to go to the oil field and here you are yeah <laughs> you know
1: I, there's elements of uh of my own family history that i kind of overlooked and um when i built with three partners first energy into it really was and is a powerhouse in terms of finance in in energy i did so at the expense of my health and Mm -hmm. probably more importantly i did so at the expense of my family Mm -hmm. and i guess i assumed that my family would know i love them because that's why i was working so hard and i never until later on in uh in my career fully appreciated what incredible parents I had, relative to the commitment they made yeah. to their family. You know, Dad and mom didn't have a lot of money. We lived a fine middle class existence in small town Saskatchewan, but I wanted more, mm-hmm. and the cost of more was extraordinary.
0: Was that? I, I wrote down a question um, regarding sort of your decision to—I I don't know if the word "slow down" is, but or, or if "balance" is the right term to use um and you know write down you know what was that epiphany and then as i started reading uh, you know i got a hold of your book and as i started reading it i read about the story of you being home Hmm. and it sounded like you were reluctant you were you were at home reluctantly uh and there was a art auction yeah um was, was that the moment that you said my life needs to change
1: that was pivotal there's no question i was um, tell me
0: tell me about that that evening or that event
1: as i sometimes describe it i was stuck at home babysitting yeah and you just stop and tear that sentence apart and nothing else i was stuck at home that tells you i was in the wrong headspace and i called it babysitting Yeah. when you parent you parent you don't babysit someone else babysits your kids So the very first sentence tells you sort of where this is going. But I was stuck at home babysitting. My ex was, or my wife at the time, was out with one of the other kids at uh, Brownies or Girl Guides. And I was uh, unhappy because I had intended to attend an art auction where there was a piece of art that was probably going to make my life complete. You know, it was absolutely critical to my life that my one wall have that particular piece of art. And I reluctantly agreed to both be at home and to bid at the auction by phone. And the phone, as I'm sitting at home, rings as it always did, but I had two young kids. And finally, after not getting contacted regarding the auction, I called the auction house and said to the woman, Peggy, where are you at with this particular piece? And she said, Brett, we sold it about 10 minutes ago. And I said, fuck, you said you'd call. Mm -hmm. And she said, Brett, I called three times. And each time a little girl answered, said you weren't home
0: Hmm.
1: and at that point I moved from frustrated to furious and I remember going upstairs into our big house because when you would made a bit of money you should have a big house (laughs) and uh, we're all spread out and went into my daughter's room and I I must have thrown the door open and there's this little nine-year-old lying on the bed with crayons doing homework and uh, I don't remember what I said in say the first two minutes but I do remember in the last 10 seconds she had crawled under her bed she was so scared and I don't know what I was saying or doing at the time but I do remember my last words were what the fuck are you doing telling someone I'm not home these little brown eyes looked up at me and said because you never are Hmm. and that was the first time that it really hit me the gap between where I thought I was going and where I was obviously at. Mm -hmm. I had just blown up over an innocuous issue, an irrelevant issue, an irreverent issue, a piece of art. I mean, so what? But it it was enough to send the trigger. And then this little girl just looked at me and said, basically, I hardly know you because you're never home. And that was the moment where I then sat down and I probably went to my room immediately and And was there for 20 minutes, and uh, it got to me. And at that point, I reached out through a business group I belonged to and said, guys, girls in this group, what do we got? Mm. I don't know what's wrong with my life, but it's not good. And uh, ultimately found an addiction treatment program, Addiction and Trauma Treatment. And uh, within a week, I had booked myself into it. I didn't get there for another month, but uh, um, I knew what I had to do. And that was just revisit in a very intense way the priorities of my life or what was going on in my life, and I guess ultimately what I determined was it was very much the priorities.
0: It takes, like to me, it takes guts to do something like that because here you've built a successful, like people on the outside will look at you and would say, yeah, Brett's successful. Look at his house. Look (laughs) at his cars, maybe.
1: Superficial, all the trappings of success. Right,
0: but, you know, things that we would say, is he successful? He's got that. He's got that. You know, yeah, he's successful. And then to sort of internalize it and you say, and, and to really tell yourself, am I successful? I need to, you know, change is very hard. And the here essence of
1: life goes on behind closed doors. Mm. And so people driving up and down our streets see the big house and the lights are on and nice car in the driveway and the measure of success. And this is really ultimately when I wrote my book, it's called Redefining Success. Yeah, yeah. And the extension of, the, of that title, Redefining Success, was really the full sentence was redefining success in a wealth-obsessed world because we see success through the lens of wealth. That's mm-hmm. really how we measure. That's what we chase. We spend our time. We devote our, uh, our waking hours in, in many business endeavors to the pursuit of success, which is a wealth-based measure. Mm-hmm. As one of my daughters, the little girl in the room, once said, why can't we just measure wealth by the size of our smile?
0: How old was she when she told you that?
1: Oh, maybe 10 years ago. So wow. she was 18, 19 years yeah. old. But it was just the sheer, um, the sheer genius sure. of the size of the smile equals the, uh, your level of success. Mm. You know, and that's the redefining that I'm talking about where you align your priorities around a longer-term vision of what you want your life to look like. Yeah. And if all you want is a big house, then why don't you abandon all hope of your health and your family and go get it? Mm-hmm. That's all you want. Mm-hmm. And people go, well, there's more to life. Yeah, there is. But why are we so obsessed then if there's more to life?
0: Yeah. Interesting. I want to get to a, a listener question. A, a lot of the qu- <laughs> So I, I went on Facebook. I said, hey, Brett's coming on. Yeah. What are your questions? And like, I'll ask him about uh, Kevin. Ask him about Kevin. So I had one person <laughs> that said, did ask that. Happens to be my sister, Faiza. Yeah. So she, she has a statement and then she has a question for Brett please ask him sorry please thank him for the charitable and volunteer work he does first so she works at the YMCA YMCA Greater Toronto she's a volunteer manager there so that's so she wanted to thank you and then he says uh, and then she asks you I would like to know with all the hype around marijuana stocks and the hype around medical marijuana is it just hype or is it a trend for the future as people take healthcare into their own hands
1: that's an extraordinary question I hate it when people say that's a great question because <laughs> everyone's <laughs> got a great question <laughs> that's an extraordinary friggin question um, Wow there's a lot of there's a lot of um, there's a lot of gravy in that one to mm. be to be played with um, I started investing in cannabis about six months ago okay. so I've been very active in the space I, in fact I made two investments today in the space timing and, um, <laughs> so I've probably got a dozen different positions or exposures, which is traditional for me in terms of taking a portfolio approach to whatever I do, whether it's the natural gas players or the oil sands players, the pipelines or the midstream, which is the energy industry I know and know well. In this case, we're talking cannabis. So a dozen positions. Some of them will blow up. Some of them will explode. And I mean, some blow up bad, some blow explode good. Cannabis is an enigma for me because until probably six months ago, which is when I went to my kids and said... I would like your permission and support. I'm going to go into the world of cannabis, which may draw some attention and profile. Because I have one child who might be a regular consumer (laughs) and a couple of others who are as anti the sport of marijuana consumption as you might imagine. In fact, I can recall one of the kids blasting one of the others over the... You know, you're a druggie and, you know, this child happened to be drunk at the time they were abusing <laughs> the person who was slightly stoned. And, again, this is family stories out of school. You've got hope,
0: millennials as kids and they're complaining. How do that. I ever?
1: So the fascinating thing for me, though, about, an, about marijuana and the whole cannabis industry is, as I begin to understand the number of different products and their impact on health, the fact that medical marijuana seems to be validated anecdotally, there's some question about whether or not there's a lot of science on it yet, but the anecdotal evidence is uh, is compelling enough. But let's remember, we were prescribing tobacco in 1910 for its health benefits. We took alcohol out of prohibition where people were being murdered, killed, gunned down, the, the machine gun, Kelly, all the legendary stories, Al Capone um, you know, Western Canada was built on the illegal rum running or lisky running trade of the, of the of the Seagrams and the Bronfmans. So there's a bunch of stories about how we as a society have chosen to uh, capture and control some of these mind-altering, health-altering experiences. And here we are now with cannabis facing us. There's enough evidence that we've pushed medical marijuana forward. Our Prime Minister has said I will support, therefore it is inevitable,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: recreational marijuana. I was just down in the States at a conference looking at all of this, and obviously as medical and recreational marijuana sweep through the United States, consumption appears to be going up, or is it simply coming out of the closet?
0: Mm. So there's
1: some debate over whether or not uh, we're simply getting control of an industry that's currently controlled by the bad guys, yeah. and now we can tax it, mm-hmm. and we can turn it into a health care generating revenue opportunity, and we can start to do research. You know, mm-hmm. think about the amount of research you can do on the health benefits of cannabis when it's an illegal drug. Mm-hmm. So you can't put an ad in the paper and says, "We'd like to do a double blind study. Yeah. Are there any women between the ages of sixty and ninety who would like to come down <laughs> and smoke up on Sundays at the church?" I mean, it doesn't happen. Yeah. So we've got an opportunity now to uh, to begin a process of um, of proper consultation and, if you will, research in, in the world of medical care, medical cannabis. I fund and I work actively with a number of organizations who are focused on drug addiction issues with Mm. youth. And one of my friends who runs one of the programs is concerned about marijuana as a gateway drug. But he also acknowledges that opiates are a huge issue, that That we may be able to pull kids back off of opiates with marijuana. It's an alternate. As opposed to a gateway up, it's an alternate back in mm. terms of giving kids some alternatives to the horrors of fentanyl or carbofentanyl or any of those, if you will, the, uh, the extreme opiates that are, um, that are literally killing kids every night. Yeah. Every night in every major city across Canada, we're losing several. So the conversation becomes, what's a gateway drug? And I challenge, and I've had some people say that it's very hypocritical of me to even try and compare the two, but two of the gateway drugs that worry me most about their impact on our health system One's called alcohol. Mm-hmm. I quit drinking by choice the week I turned 30. There was some family stuff going on. Wow. And I watch what alcohol's done and is doing to family and friends. Mm-hmm. I don't mean close family. That's been dealt with for the most part. But I look at the number of friends I have who think that a bottle of wine is a given at an evening dinner table. And that's on a Monday. Mm. And by Friday, it's two bottles of wine, mm-hmm. and then by Sunday, they're not sure what Monday's going to look like, and so it's it's just a um, it's a gateway drug in itself. Now the other one that's just hitting headlines right now is a drug. It's made the same way that cocaine and marijuana, or cocaine and heroin, are made, and it's sugar, refined sugar. The you know in the United States, the corn industry controls huge swaths of the vote and huge swaths of farmland. But the fructose glucose that comes out of corn syrup is embedded in everything. It is the, I had more trouble cutting ketchup out of my life this fall than I did cutting alcohol out of my life 30 years ago. The addicted tendencies of refined sugars are extreme. And I'm not trying to mitigate or lighten the story when it comes to talking about cannabis. Sure, sure. But what I'm saying is we have to consider all the issues. And then you start to throw that lens, I love that term, of looking at cannabis at the same time that you're looking at some other drugs that are marketed through grocery stores and through cereal. I mean, we add salt to our cereal so we can increase the sugar content. That's crazy. Is that fair to the kids? Mm. Obesity. You see the seven, seven allow. I shouldn't name any names, but you see these buckets, 36-ounce buckets of a little bit of ice and mostly sugar, and that's what we're feeding our youth?
0: It's crazy. So
1: those who are on their high horses about cannabis... All I'm saying is give it a give it a chance to be properly researched and understood. You know we have people in jail for marketing cannabis. I think there's going to yeah, be a few a people pop out of different, jail. Different.
0: Uh, yeah. Uh, episode, so there. Yeah. So that was an extraordinary that was, that was, question. <laughs> there you go. Well, if if I if I could give my my two cents in, um, you know I, I'm just coming off an attack of shingles. Right. Um, and the best thing that I took were gummies.
1: But it was marijuana-laced gummies? Yeah. Yeah, I got it.
0: And uh, the, the pain went, and it was funny. And I started giggling like crazy. <laughs> but it felt You didn't start eating pizza then right away. No, no, was, no, no, so it no. It wasn't like is, you developed the munchies. No, exactly, exactly. Exactly. Um, although I think I, I grabbed a bag of peanuts. but, <laughs> but let, oh Sorry, I, I
1: kind of skipped over it. But yeah. in the world of cannabis, yeah. we started, everybody knows, the toking idea where you roll a joint and you smoke it. Sure. Well, of course, that's putting some real carcinogenic issues the in your lungs. Yep, mm-hmm. But now that vaping has come along, I've never vaped. I don't use, by the way. I don't have a consumer in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. But vaping oils, tincture the edibles and where that's all going uh is extraordinary yeah the delivery product so we need research to understand the effects of different types of cannabis there's two main streams of cannabis there's three or four different loads of cannabis in terms of the uh the um the volumes mm-hmm. uh that are ingested and then we still don't have good thresholds for you know should you have two brownies or three brownies before you go for a drive there's a lot of research to be done and Absolutely. i'm saying the reasons that I'm in this space, one, it's inevitable. Two, I want to see research done. And three, I want to encourage responsible consumption. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that is, but I want to encourage it.
0: I know I don't have you for a long time, but I'm, I'm going to ask, can I get you for four more questions? Oh, absolutely. Okay, cool. Um, in no particular order, um, you know, one of, the, uh, one of the ways that I got in touch with you was through a friend, uh, uh, Suleiman, yep. who we uh, affectionately call Yoda. Um, and his, his, his work on no-fly list kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I saw some retweets on both of your ends, so I reached out. But I know you're involved with, with that. Um, t- tell me, wh- why is it such an I, I know why it's an issue, because it's weird <laughs> that, you know, just based on a name match, that people have got to either miss flights or get denied entrance or have to jump through hoops just to get on a plane when their kid might be anywhere from a newborn you know, to, to 16 years old. Um, why are we having a problem with this?
1: Well, my attention is 100% Yoda-based. Okay. If he hadn't made me aware of it, it would have just been another issue mm-hmm. for other people. And that's yeah. the nature of many issues sure, in life. Sure, sure. But when I looked at it and thought, you know what, given the technology, Mm -hmm. I don't know about how you feel, but when I hand my passport to someone, they open the file and I'm waiting for them to laugh, going, what? (laughs) They know stuff. Yeah. So when a seven-year-old shows up with a passport and they open it and they're on the no-fly list, just an iota of intelligence on the part of the customs officer would say, let's let this one go. Yeah. Yeah. Put them through the regular screening. <laughs> but the no-fly list for a seven-year-old, a nine-year-old, come on. The other thing is the technology that we enjoy in this world allows us to interact on so many different levels. You know, if the kid who's causing problems as a seven-year-old yeah. has a certain social insurance number and a certain passport number, can't you link those things together? That's rudimentary database work and the passport systems of the world have to be some of the most extraordinary yeah. passport systems or database systems in the world. So, so no, I've just taken the opportunity to poke. And I think Yoda's shared that there's close to 50 kids on this no-fly list. a bunch, list. yeah. And you just go, really? 50. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge problem, but it's also a nothing problem. It should be a nothing problem. It's an problem. administrative issue for a couple hours. Yeah. So... It strikes me as one of those odd things, so if I've got a little bit of voice a little bit of brand in my Twitter account um, <laughs> uh, you know even my dog tweets I mean we we do what we can to, uh, <laughs> to, to to build out our brand and this is one that's a little annoying that's probably the yeah. best way of describing it
0: that's that is so true um, you my my sister um, you know talked about or she thanked you for your charitable and volunteer work. Um, you, when, when you started First Energy, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys were giving away pre-tax two point, minimum 2.5% to charity. Why was that? And it seems to me, because then Yoda's wife DM'd me and, and said he does a lot of great work, doesn't talk about it, I'm talking about it. Why was that and continues, Why does that continue to be important for you?
1: When I, I stumbled across the opportunity that charity represents when I first asked my boss for a1,000 dollars this is 1986 and I asked him for $1,000 dollars to buy a table for junior achievement in Calgary. Yeah. And at the time, the Calgary office represented you know, 20, 25 percent of our national corporate finance revenues, mm-hmm. and I wanted to take some clients to dinner. So I sent in something your listeners may not be familiar with called a telex. And I sent in a telex to headquarters in Toronto. And a couple of weeks later, I finally get a response saying, request denied. That was it. Hmm. So at that point, I pick up the phone so that I can have a conversation with the guy, Phil, who was running this committee. And I said, Phil, how come? I want to take some people to a dinner. What's going on here? We, we got to do something in this community. And he said, oh, well, we've already given ten thousand dollars to junior achievement in toronto yeah and i said the impact of that ten thousand on calgary was zero yeah nil, nada yeah. and i didn't get to go to the dinner i didn't do anything intelligent with the money and so long story short i missed the dinner because of this back and forth trying to get it organized and secondly, they ultimately asked the Toronto JA to give back $1,000 mm. and give it to the Calgary people. Yeah. So I'm thinking, just a minute. Well, we missed the Goodwill window with Calgary. We blew the Goodwill window, window with me. Yeah. And we s- kind of screwed up the Goodwill window with Toronto. Yeah. It was there that I realized, had I been efficient in doing that, mm. I might have had an opportunity to run circles around my competitors. And that's really when we started thinking of charity as a marketing opportunity. Yeah. You know, As much as these tables are for for a charity and purpose, it was a marketing opportunity that I was taking it for. Mm-hmm. I was going to take some clients to that mm-hmm. dinner. So as an extension of that, when we started First Energy, I sat with my partners and re- imagine Canada was asking corporate Canada to give up half of 1% of their pre-tax profits. That was the ask. So I went to my partners and said, let's go with 2.5%, but that will be our marketing budget. It'll be our charity budget. It'll be all one. And at the time, of course, remember, this is six months before we've opened for business. Two and a half percent of zero is a pretty easy calculation. It's still zero. Absolutely. So I don't think my partners fully appreciated, nor did I, what that might translate into for dollars. But guess what? You know, 20 years later, First Energy is legendary for having given and raised tens of millions of dollars uh, for the local community. And in fact, causes across Canada. So we saw the opportunity, I don't think we fully appreciated how incredible the opportunity was. There's an argument sometimes that charity is an obligation Mm. for those with wealth, those with power, for corporate Canada. And I'll accept there's an element of an obligation. But when I layer on the opportunity, Mm -hmm. the opportunity to change the world Mm
0: -hmm. for
1: the benefit of your family, Mm. your friends, your staff, your clients, your competitors, it's an opportunity. It's it's just, it hasn't been tested in many parts of the world and so we took it and tested it in calgary we were the first investment bank maybe ever to be known for our social conscience because we cared we cared about community and so we have suddenly had a budget that budget came from the fact that we were allocating our marketing plan into charity so we blended it some people said there's something a little bit crass about using your charity budget for for marketing and expecting value from it Mm -hmm. i said what's crass like, let's spend the time. Let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. Naming rights, sponsorships, tickets at events. What's well, crass? Mm-hmm. Like What's the most crass part of all that? Mm-hmm. The fact that we've done it strategically and you didn't
0: think about it? Mm-hmm. Not my problem. Mm. Interesting. My computer's going to shut down, so that's why I took a photo of my notes here. <laughs> um, but I wanted to ask you have, you, have you heard about the Upside Foundation? I have, but freshen it. I don't remember. So Upside Foundation. So I had a guest on, uh, I guess before the holidays, Ben Zifkin, CEO of Hubba. Mm-hmm. Um, so what? So he didn't. F- uh, he wasn't a founder of this, but he's one of the early um, supporters of it. The Upside Foundation is where uh, you start a company, and before you go public, right at the beginning, you pledge a percent of of your company mm-hmm. to this foundation, so that when and if you eventually sell. That, that the foundation gets the proceeds and then you get to direct where those proceeds uh, go to. Um, so that's something that, that, that Ben supports. That, that when I heard about it, I said, that's really, really interesting.
1: Well, and actually, not to preempt it or, yeah. s- or to lessen it, but we did exactly that same thing yeah. back 22 years ago. Wow. We started our own foundation. And one of the ways the industry, the brokerage industry gets compensated is cash and broker warrants. Broker warrants are purely upside. And we decided collectively that we didn't want to have Mm -hmm. the broker warrants. Part of it was an issue of allocating them within the partners. Who got it? Who deserved it? If it works out well, does someone really deserve that prize? And one of the partners, not me, said, why don't we just put them all in our foundation? And Uh that caused no end of wealth creation in the foundation. We, We literally created millions and millions in there that we wouldn't have otherwise had. But we carved off the upside so no no there's there's so many creative ways that you can allocate funds into the into the sphere of giving that aren't painful <laughs> you yeah know, there's no pain involved with giving away some of the upside yeah there's a little bit of
0: ego at stake that you didn't get all that you thought you might get sure that is awesome um you you talked about earlier about your your core competency is in did you call it mid-range Mid-range oil, mid... Mid-sand? Oh, there's midstream. So midstream, th- sorry. Th- well, mid-stream that's the service
1: business that okay. connects. That's the pipelines and the gas plants. Okay. But there's oil and gas producers. Or pardon me, there's oil producers, gas producers. There's the oil sands business. Yeah. There's just a whole bunch of different bunch elements of-, of the energy hydrocarbon industry.
0: So your, your sort of specialty, as most people would see, would be sort of the, on the energy side. But you've sort of diversified... Yeah. If that's the right word. And a lot of people would sort of stay with what they're really, really good at. Uh, and I should have. You should have. And you've admitted here, you know, you, you don't know a lot about the cannabis industry, but you're investing in there. Um, but you've also invested in sports, um, music. Well, you know,
1: there was a bit of, call it extra cash flow. Okay. that's really where the opportunity came to kind of follow some interesting passions. I mean, I read the, the book as a kid, A Boy in Leafs Camp. Okay. Fifty times I read the Hardy Boys and talk Hardy and, you Boys and yeah. all that stuff. But a boy in Leafs camp was on my headboard for years and years and years and years, and I didn't have the talent to take okay. my to take my hockey career as far as others. And um, but I was a reasonably good skater, and I ended up using it. Uh, one of my part time jobs at university was refereeing hockey. All right. Another was driving taxi.
0: You okay. Know, I
1: could navigate. I could skate, but I I couldn't shoot and. Anyway, the um, the real point of that story is that the... Um, um
0: S- uh, diversifying sports. Oh, and, and ultimately yeah, sliding
1: yeah. in. Oh, yeah, it was the Predators. I was trying to think yeah. about the hockey part. But the ultimate dream, I guess, of a lot of uh, Prairie Boys is to make the NHL. I had to give up on that dream because I couldn't shoot. Uh, but when I discovered I could build a wallet... And the opportunity came along to buy into, uh, first of all, it was the Flames, and there was negotiations underway on that, and that didn't come together, but I understood the league and how it worked. And uh, an opportunity to buy into the Preds came along, and uh, literally the night that, my first night ever in Nashville, I was at a dinner party, and I met someone who invited me in. And the next day at noon, I shook hands on a deal. It was that quick. So Nashville's been pretty good to me.
0: And did you call Basili, or did you tweet at him?
1: Well, you know, the reason <laughs> the reason <laughs> it came up was someone at the table asked me yeah. if I knew Balsillie. Yeah. I said yes. Yeah. And that annoyed someone else at the table, just mm-hmm. the fact that I knew him, because there's this Canadian member sure. of this business group. Anyway, with a bit of uh, backpedaling and a bit of wine, I managed to convince them that just because I knew Jim, I wasn't a bad guy. Yeah. And I actually admire and respect Jim in many, many ways. But Jim, at the time, mm-hmm. was persona non grata in Nashville. Yeah. And oh, for so, sure. so... Um, So, no, the conversation came up because I knew they thought I might know Jim. And that's really, as Ah. it turned out, one person at the table, his family was investing, and uh, he made the comment that someone dropped out this morning. Would you be interested? And I said, Well, what's the amount? And they told me. And I said, Well, yeah, I actually would be interested. (laughs) <laughs> and that's how lunch at the Palm, the legendary, there's a restaurant called the Palms, and that's where deals are all done. So we had to go to the Palm. So you and, had to go there. And, uh, and we shook hands th- at the end of an hour. On
0: So you're the reason that Hamilton doesn't have a hockey team. <laughs> uh, no, there's, I'm a, just kidding. there's a lot of reasons <laughs> Hamilton
1: doesn't have a hockey team. But the, um, So sports has been a bit of a sidebar uh, I've enjoyed. But my, the core competencies are really real estate and energy. There's a lot of things within energy I'm reasonably good at in mm-hmm. terms of, uh, particularly energy finance. But um, and now, you know, I've had the privilege of doing an awful lot of charity work, an awful lot of travel, uh, an awful lot of fairly creative charity work involving travel. So there's just some neat things that have been happening in my life.
0: What's what's the, is is there a charity that's a near and dear to your heart?
1: The two that are. If you will, glue on the wall right now, or Jello sticking to the wall. Um, adolescent mental health.
0: Adolescent mental health. Mm-hmm. Okay, why is that?
1: Because I'm still finding relevant causes everywhere I turn. Mm. I mean, there's another story that I would tell, that I do tell when I'm. Every year I go in now with myself and a couple of friends, and we spend time in the suicide ward at the uh, at one of the kids' hospitals in uh, in Calgary. And I sit down there, and I'm not going to explain it all here, but I talk about child by child, person by person in my family, our purpose and con- or our purposeful connection to mental health issues, whether it's a daughter who acknowledged that she had an eating disorder, or a, a family friend lying in a bed uh, with a morphine overdose. I mean, there's so many moments that connect me to the world of mental health, and my understanding. Of many aspects, many elements, whether it's eating disorders or uh, aboriginal mental health with one of the causes we work with or in school bullying there's so many elements of the mental health circle mm-hmm. that I like to work on that mental health has become a pretty important part of where i where I am and where I'm going, and then frankly, the other is our veterans okay you know they're an out of sight out of mind. Uh, key to the reason that we as a nation have uh, the freedom to have some of the arguments and debates we do Mm -hmm. we are recognized globally as one of the great countries in the world and yet we as Canadians don't celebrate it the way we could or should Mm -hmm. and uh, our veterans have given us that freedom so uh, and I have my own connections to our veterans so I share those at times but those are the two core causes I'm a prostate cancer graduate I've had it twice I lost my mother to lung cancer. I mean, I can go on and on in terms of causes, but 90%, 90 99% percent, percent of the work I do going forward will be causes where I have a connection. Sure. There's lots of worthy causes, and I don't mean to be dismissive when someone comes to me and says, I have this issue. Mm-hmm. Well, I hear you, but I've only got so much time yeah. left on this earth, and I want to make a difference in the causes that have impacted my
0: family. Um, I don't know the, the 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 proper way or the PC way to ask, but I don't know if you if if you if you want to talk about it. But um, you know, how's your health today? You know, b- being oh, there's no w- PC would you, would on you, that. Don't would worry you, about that. Would you call it you you're you're a double survivor or
1: you know? I actually don't don't like the word survivor, and I don't mean to be dismissive sure. for people who refer to themselves yeah, yeah, as yeah. cancer survivors. But I coined the phrase a number of years ago, a decade or more, that I'm a cancer graduate.
0: The you first m- you time I took that, yeah.
1: my cancer program, if you will, and I, I mean, sometimes somewhat lightheartedly I say I got my bachelor's 15 years ago and I got my master's a year and a half ago, and if I need to, I'll re- I'm ready to go back and get my Ph.D. Hmm. I am prepared. And for me, that's a far more empowering perspective. Words hmm. have meaning. I spent a lot of time with a sports psychologist when I was being treated for cancer the first time, and really the genres of inspiration and humor were very important to the human the psyche, if you will, of dealing with long-term mental, or not long-term mental, but long-term health issues, disease, whatever. You know, the, um, the opportunity to introduce something fun, something light, again, humor, and then inspiration. I mean, I watched the movie Rudy every second night while I was doing my cancer treatments, round mm-hmm. one. I screamed at the same spots. I shouted at the same spots. I cried at the same spots. I knew what was coming. But I left that show every time a little more inspired. And again, when you're fighting for your life, being inspired is a good thing. So words have meaning. And that's yeah. why it's important to me when I talk about, you know, I'm a cancer graduate. And so I'm a two-time cancer graduate. Uh, I don't anticipate having to go back to school. Um, side effects of radiation still bother me from time to time. Uh, but I call that a living problem. Mm-hmm. Cancer is a dying problem. And I've dealt with that. Yeah, I have living problems, but so what?
0: Awesome. Thank you for appreciate your time. I appreciate the privilege. I know you've, uh, you've spent more time here than, than we had planned, but I really do appreciate it.
1: Well, believe it or not, I only looked once, as you'll notice.
0: Yes. Hockey,
1: hockey score. Hockey the Preds score. are playing right now. <laughs> your just team. Just so <laughs> you know. And I only looked once.
0: And they're, and they're that winning. That wasn't
1: easy, though, but we were up winning, so it was easier. There you to are. only looked once. Awesome.
0: I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: And thanks to your sister for those good questions.
0: No, I'll let her know.